I could have lost every limb on my body and I still would have been me. You know, I'm the same person. I'm super determined. I'm competitive. I want to do my best. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. This week we've got a special interview for you. Steph Reed is a Paralympian representing Team GB and she just finished fourth in the long jump. She was an agonising three centimetres away from a medal. But Steph Reed has a wonderful story to tell about her own Christian faith. And we recorded this interview with her before the Tokyo Olympics. So let's listen in to this interview with the multiple medal winner at the European and world level, Steph Reed. She's been speaking to Premier's Rachel Matthews. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. This is the show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony. And it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like to receive a free copy of the latest issue, featuring interviews, features, news, reviews and more, then head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. My guest today is Steph Reed. Steph Reed is a Paralympic long jumper who competes for Great Britain. A five-time world record holder, reigning world champion and triple Paralympic medalist in the long jump and the 200 metre sprint. Steph has an honours degree in biochemistry and away from the track she works as a broadcaster, professional speaker, actor, model and she was also a finalist on Celebrity Masterchef 2018. Steph's talent and passion for sport were spotted early and at 12 she was already dreaming of playing rugby on the world stage. But at 15, Steph was involved in a boating accident. She suffered severe propeller lacerations and her life was saved but her right foot was amputated. Steph has leaned into God throughout her journey and like many in the Bible has had moments of anger, disbelief, questioning, amazement and glory. I met up with Steph at Loughborough University where she's currently training for the Tokyo Olympics and I asked her about when her love for sport began. I have loved sport for as long as I can remember. Um, one of my very first you know, sporting memories was actually watching the Hawaii Ironman and just, uh, I don't know what it was. I just, I've always been a really active child. I just love, you know, moving and running and just that feeling of pushing yourself to physical exertion. I don't know, it's just really satisfying. And and I was also um, really, really competitive. And I think a lot of people can misinterpret what competitive means, but for me, it was just about that challenge every day. I, I love learning. I've always had a lot of energy and kind of just I just always wanted an outlet, you know, for, for that aggression, which, you know, also as a girl, you know, as a female, you don't always, always get. And for me, sport was just, it was just that release. I, I just loved it. And I played everything. Um, so the school that I went to, um, actually, it was great. We had a lot of offerings um, in terms of sport and, and I would play everything, um, you know, from cross country to basketball to, to you know, tennis to football. Um, volleyball. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. Just anything that you could do. But you had a particular heart for rugby, is that right? Yes. So when I was 12, I was introduced to rugby. And, and for me, that was just, oh, I love it. I mean, there's just nothing better than, you know, running up and down a field uh, covered in mud um, as you're training and on the pitch when you're, when you're competing. And, um, it was just, it really was the sport for me that showcased the fullness of my abilities. Um, it was just a perfect fit for me. Um, and, and I was a scrum half and I, yeah, I just loved everything about it. And, and I thought, okay, this is, this is it. I found the sport that I want to do. I want to excel in it. I want to play internationally. And, uh, and, and I thought that was where my life was going to go. Goodness me, so they, those are really big dreams for that sport. It was, and I think I just liked the fact it was it was quite an unusual sport, um, you know, for for women to play, um, and it was just it was a challenge. And running parallel with that, 
did you grow up with a faith in God? Did I grow up with a faith in God? Yes. I, well, I, I grew up with a knowledge of God. Um, my family wasn't particularly religious. You know, faith wasn't a huge part of our life. We, we would go to church and, and I think both my parents, um, you know, believed in God and something, but actually, unusually, we ended up going to, um, a private Christian school. So a lot of, of what I knew and a lot of my faith influence actually came at, at school and, and, you know, I knew, I knew the Bible really well. We studied that, um, memorized lots of scripture, but in terms of whether or not it really internalized, um, I wouldn't say it had. And, and part of that is just because I think it, it's a big commitment and you know as as a child things get simple and as you get older things get a lot more complicated and your faith becomes a lot more nuanced and you have more questions and and you face tougher situations and um i think it, it does take a degree of maturity to to develop and, and i hadn't quite reached that yet so you knew about god he was kind of in the background almost although perhaps it hadn't become a personal deep commitment to you but God was definitely sort of around and with you and then you were 14 were you when you had an accident yeah so actually I, I was 15 and um I well it's funny I, I I said I wanted an adventure with rugby and I definitely got an adventure just not the one I wanted <laughs> and um so I was actually up at a friend's cottage for um it was it was a bank holiday weekend and their cottage happened to be on a beautiful lake uh north of north of Toronto and they, they had a boat and um, we spent much of the weekend, you know, on the boat, but also doing this really fun activity, which um, it's called tubing. So basically you attach a rubber inner tube to the back of a power boat and it kind of, and it tows you and, you know, you go flying across the water and, you know, it's super fun. And, you know, you, you fall off occasionally, the boat comes back, you get back on, you, you keep going. And it would have been on the Monday when my parents were coming back to, to get me later that afternoon. And we decided to go out one last morning um, just because we wouldn't be able to do it again for, for a long time. And um, as usual, I, you know, we were always on the tube and then I fell off and, and I was waiting to, to get picked back up by the boat. But I, I knew something was not right that time. I could just tell you know, that boat is coming, it's coming way too fast. And, and I knew the driver, he doesn't see me. And I mean, your body's amazing. It's you just switch into survival mode. And you know, there wasn't really that much emotion attached to it. It was just like, right, what are your options? Because you really need to miss that propeller or you're going to die. And I looked at the boat. I was, I was a great swimmer. I was on the swim team, um, but I knew, okay, I don't have enough time to swim to either side. Um, you know, I'll, I'll still get caught in, in, in the wake of, of the propellers. And so I thought my best bet was, this is fine. I'll just surface dive. I'll, I'll dive below the boat. I'll get as far below it as I can. And then I'll just resurface once I'm confident it, it's gone up. And so I went to, to dive down, but just totally forgot I had a life jacket on and I couldn't get under. And at that point, there, there just was no time. Um, and there's just not much you can do except hope for the best. And um, it's weird. I remember the whole thing. Um, and I remember just, it was just really dark. Um, I mean, I was disorientated. I didn't know um, what was happening. I didn't know which way was up. And then at some point I could just feel my lungs were, I'm like, I need to get up. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to drown. Um, and I resurfaced and it was quite weird. I, I think I remember people on the boat, you know, panicking and, and really worried. And I was just kind of like, guys, I'm fine. I'm like, wow, that was really close. Probably let's not tell our parents about that. Um, and then it was this wave of very much, I'm not fine, but I don't know why. And I remember, um, I don't know, I just felt funny. And I remember just reaching down um, just to check, you know, is everything okay? And that's when I realized that I had big lacerations to my lower back. And um, and I knew, I actually thought I had been cut in half at that point. And, you know, that was when the shock kind of kicked in. And um, 
and it was really scary because um, whenever we were in the middle of nowhere and even I knew this is a lot of blood um, you know you need a blood transfusion and um, they pulled me on the boat and and that was kind of when everyone saw the extent and I remember trying to sit up and somebody kept shoving my shoulder down I was getting really annoyed like I just want to sit up but they just didn't want me to see um, in what was going on and um, I remember you know eventually um, they got me into um, into an ambulance and that was you know I could see in everyone's face this is not good and that was when the possibility of death you know really crossed my mind and I remember you know growing up as a teenager and kind of having this internal conversation with myself yes God is there yeah I'm kind of scared of him yeah I'd kind of like to go to heaven but equally oh I'm really enjoying my life right now I kind of want to do things my way I'll tell you what God how about we just kind of coexist together for a little bit and then when I have a family and you know when I have time um, maybe then I'll start you know kind of doing things your way and, and exploring and then I was in this position where there was no more time and that was really scary and I felt this deep sense of you know I've not done life well and um, and you know it wasn't you know from the outside I don't think anyone else would have felt like that you know I was an A plus student had lots of friends had been in school and it wasn't like I you know had gone out and done a load of you know really really horrific things but I the point was I had not done um, I had never asked God what he wanted for my life. I had never acknowledged him. I'd never honored him. I'd never really lived in, in light of just huge gratitude for the grace he was showering on me every single day. And I just didn't realize it. And, and that moment hit me really hard because I knew that if I had died in that moment, um, I was probably going to be one of those people where I said, you know, hey, God, it's me. And he was going to say, I don't know you. And that was terrifying. And I prayed in that ambulance, you know, genuinely for the first time, God save me. I have no recourse right now. And I just, I desperately want another chance to, to do things right. And I, I mean, he heard that prayer. And um, it was funny, actually, later on, I, I found out just a number of people that were praying for me during those, you know, really intense 12 hours. And, um, you know, things went as well as I possibly could. Um, I made it to the hospital um, and they they did the surgery. And, you know, it was really difficult surgery. They actually ended up bringing in, um, you know, it's bank holiday weekend. And of course, you know, my mom's biggest fear was, oh my gosh, no one's gonna be working at the hospital. Like, who is she gonna get, a trainee doctor? <laughs> but actually um, they ended up bringing in the best orthopedic surgeon in the country uh, he cut his holiday short and they and they brought him in um and you know my my injuries were quite complicated particularly the one on my back um you can imagine it's a massive dirty open wound that you need to find a way to put back together um and but you know what i i woke up from surgery and i had no spinal damage and i was fine and i thought wow like God was there and, and he was amazing and, and he saved me and then I found out that um, unfortunately they hadn't been able to save all of my right leg and, and they had to amputate the foot and I was devastated um, you know sport was my dream that was what I lived for that was my life and I just thought this was not part of the deal. You know, why would you save me and then take away the one thing that I loved the most? You know, sport. That was every. That was who I was. I mean, what am I going to do now? So that was a really difficult. You know, it's just this really weird. And, and granted, you know, again, I'm on a lot of morphing at the time, and so you're not. It's just. It was just this weird, weird week where you're kind of aware, kind of not dealing with all these crazy emotions and, and you're not quite yourself. And I just remember this real wrestling with God and just, I don't understand. I'm so thankful I'm still alive. And yet I'm so angry at you for, for having my foot amputated. It was tough. It sounds 
really, really tough. And as you speak about it with hindsight, obviously that's with a kind of more mature adult, but you were mindset, but you were 15 at the time wrestling with all of that. It's still young, isn't it? As you said, in your whole kind of life journey. Did you hear from God when you were arguing with him and just trying to say, what, 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 this wasn't the deal? Did he, did he respond in any way? How did he answer? Um, it wasn't in the sense of, you know, some people hear from God really clearly, really specific words. And at some points in my life, I, I have. But in that sense, I never got, it wasn't that I got a word, um, but there was a lot of peace. And I, I can only describe it as I know that he was, he was in that recovery room and and it was an interesting lesson to I mean it was just an interesting thing that I learned that you know you can be both completely full of um of faith and hope in God and and still have questions and doubt and be angry and and I just lived in in that tension and um I had an incredible sense of just I don't know just hope like this situation really sucks right now this is not what I want but I also knew I wasn't going to stay here. Things would get better eventually. It might take a really long time. So I can only describe it, yeah, as this weird tension of I'm at incredible peace and yet there's incredible uncertainty and I'm just going to have to keep walking with this. And as you did journey on in terms of your um, faith journey, but also your physical recovery, what, what, what did you then do? Bearing in mind you had those dreams to play rugby and what next? Do you know what? I mean, it sounds really weird, but there's actually, it was actually such an incredible experience at 15 to be in a scenario where you were so clear on what was important in life. Um, you know, my life changed dramatically in the space of, you know, a few seconds. Um, but the thing was when something that dramatic happens, um, there's, there's just this clarity and you know life was so simple all I had to do at that point was I needed to get physically better and I needed to learn to walk again that was it everything else it stressed me out you know fell away I didn't care about grades you know really you know the things most teenage girls care about that you, you know I gotta have the latest you know whatever it is it was just amazing to be totally freed from all of those those worries and because you know, just that change had been so dramatic. I just, I knew, okay, look, my life is not gonna look as it used to. There's no hope of it ever looking like that. So what do you have right now? How are you gonna make the best of it? Let's go. And that was it. There was actually an incredible simplicity in it that sometimes I look back in life and I miss. And I think, oh, that was, I mean, and again, this was, it was a really, really hard, hard part. You know, there were, there were, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of breakdowns and just temper tantrums and, and that sort of thing, because you're, you're just trying to deal with these really huge emotions. So I'm definitely not trying to make out like this was a lot of fun, particularly for someone else who was going through a really tough time. But equally, there was a joy in the simplicity and just kind of those tiny little milestones, like, you know, being able to learn to use crutches and get up and downstairs. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it was a strange time. And do you remember how your relationship with God was developing during that recovery time? Can you take your mind back at all? I think we were just, we were learning a lot. Well, he already knew me. I was learning a lot about him. And I think, you know, sometimes um, we develop an image of God and we almost make up this person that doesn't actually exist. And, and he was breaking down a lot of the things that I thought that I knew about him and what I thought a Christian life, you know, would be. And, you know, just kind of realizing things like um, being a Christian doesn't mean you're never going to face hardship. Um, you don't get a free pass from that. Um, and... You know, it's it's something that is going to, it takes all of you. And oh, it's really slow. <laughs> I 
my goodness, sometimes God is so slow teaching lessons and just realizing this is not going to happen in a day. You know, this was, um, this was, you know, an extensive four or five year process where, you know, I started exploring my faith and, and started, um, it, uh, like I say, realizing that there was, you know, probably thousands of people that I didn't even know that were praying for me just because of, you know, uh, friends at school who were praying and had prayer trains going. And, um, and it was also kind of, again, that, that spirit or that sense of peace that I felt so palpably in, in my room, I wanted to know more about that and just learning about the Holy Spirit and the different ways that, um, you know, he can show up in, in life and the different ways he speaks to people and, um, just really just starting to pay more attention. Um, and so I think, yeah, a lot of it was just getting rid of some of those, I guess, really childish understandings of God. Oh, like he's Santa Claus or he's a journey or I'm going to pray and suddenly God's going to do exactly what I ask him to do. And you realize, no, like God is wild and he is untamed and he, but he's good. And, and realizing, you know, I don't control him. Um, you know, I can speak to him. He will always, always be with me, but he will always stay slightly mysterious and wild. And that's a good thing because actually, I think I'd be kind of bored with a God that I fully understood. You know what I mean? I'd be kind of disappointed. Like, really? Is that it? Um, and, and these are things I'm still learning about God. And you know, sometimes um, it's weird. I, I'll, I'll go back and I'll just think, you know, e even in, in my day-to-day -day life now, something will happen that I didn't want to. And it could be really minor. And I'm just like, oh, this is so annoying. Um, and then I just think, oh, Stephanie, you learned this lesson like 10 years ago and you're here again. But, you know, God keeps kind of deepening it and deepening it and deepening the lesson. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I think God is, he is slow. Maybe I'm slow and just take a long time to learn it. But um, it's just, it, it's a slow process. And it's one that you have to commit to every day and, um, and just do the best that you can and listen and watch for God and for the spirit and those moments that he wants you to, to pay attention to. As you then um, began to recover and your faith began to slowly grow, but as you say, it's a, it's a really slow burn at times, isn't it? How comfortable did you begin to feel in your new body? Because when you were a young teenager, body is really tough, isn't it? Particularly as a female to get your head around and be comfortable with. Was there a journey in that for you? Yeah, that was, I think that that was one of the toughest things, just, um, looking in the mirror and, and just not kind of seeing what you want to see. Uh, it, it took a really long time to accept this is how I was now going to look. And um, no, I didn't, you, you actually, you don't get an artificial leg right away because um, when when you have uh, your foot amputated, so you're now, you know, feet are amazing in terms of the skin on the bottom of them, it's different from anywhere else in your body. And that's because it has to deal with a lot of pressure, your ankle, your foot, the way they distribute the pressure when you walk and when you run. So now I needed to wait for all the scars to heal, but also for the skin to toughen up because it's now having to do a job that it was never designed to, to do. And so initially I would just go around on, on crutches and there was nothing there. And I remember meeting my prosthetist for the first time and just asking like, I know I'm not gonna be able to walk on it, but can you just make some sort of foam foot so that when I go around, people aren't just staring and thinking, oh my goodness, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Cause it was just so exhausting. And um, Shane, he was my first prosthetist and, and he was brilliant. And he looked at me and he said, I can, but I'm not going to, um, because I think it's really important that this is now who you are and you need to accept that. I mean, it sounds kind of harsh now, doesn't it? <laughs> but actually that, that was the best thing. Um, you know, it was essentially, you know, you need to live in reality. Like that's how you deal with things and that's how you move on. And just because it's hard, it doesn't mean that you avoid it. And I realize now it was probably one of the kindest um, and best things that he could have done in, in that moment. But, but still it's hard, but my mom was great. I remember, um, you know, we were, we were in a mall and again, I was just tired of everybody staring and she could just see and, you know, she's like, are you okay, Stop. I'm like, well, it's just exhausting. Like everybody is staring. And she said, yeah, well, your hair looks awesome. Why wouldn't they be staring? And I'm like, oh yeah. And it was just kind of, again, just that, that reminder. Um, 
I think what she was getting at, you know, in my whole life, it has never, you know, been my goal to to fit in. And so did you put your dreams then on hold for that kind of career in rugby or your love for sport? Did you have to just put that away and think, oh, well, that was for a different step? What happened? In many ways, yes. And... um yeah, actually, it's it's a good question to ask because I, again, I'm I'm very. Um, it goes back to that thing that Shane, my process, has taught me. You know, it's really important to live in reality and look at the opportunities that you have around you. And so often I will have if I if I go in and speak to, at a school, you know, sometimes I'll have this discussion with a head teacher who want me to come and bring the message that you can do anything that you put your mind to, and it's just not something that I can get behind. Which sounds really harsh, but that that's reality. You know, I, it would be terrible advice for me. Uh, what, what if I told you, you know, my dream is to go to America and play in the NBA. And, and you said, yes, follow your heart. You go and do that. That's terrible advice. One, I'm not a man. I can't play in the NBA. Two, I'm, you know, I'm five foot six. I love basketball, but you know, that is just, that's not, you know, we all live in a context. And so it's important to respect that context and accept that God has put you here. What can I do here right now? So in, in that sense, um, you know, I, it was tough. I loved sport, but at that time, it simply was not going to be where my future was. These days, you can't get a lot for your pound. You could get a pack of balloons. A DIY face mask. Ooh. Or some plasters. Ouch. One pound could get you great reporting, brilliant interviews, and loads of Christian news articles, all in Premier Christianity. In print, online, and on the app for just one pound a month in the Summer Sale Limited offer. Get yours at PremierChristianity.com. I, I could have lost every limb on my body, and I still would have been me. You know, I'm the same person. I'm super determined. I'm competitive. I want to do my best, and. I won't have that same outlet in sport, but there are other outlets. The world is a huge, wild, wild, big place. And um, at that point, as you know, 15, well, now 16 year old, um, I decided that I was going to, you know, really invest in my academics. I'd always been really academic. I love school. And, and now, you know, all that energy that I used to put into sport, I, I turned towards my academics and I developed a new dream and a new goal. Um, actually, I wanted to be a doctor. My surgeon was amazing. And I thought, you know, if I could do that for, for someone else, that would be a life really well spent. And so I um, ended up uh, actually getting a full academic scholarship to study biochemistry. And uh, I was still in Canada at the time and you have to do an undergraduate degree before you can apply for, for medical school. And and that was, that was a new plan. Um, and you know things are going really well i said i had the the scholarship i wrote my mcats which is the entrance exam to go to medical school did really well on those and then would you believe it uh sport ended up coming back into my life (laughs) so what what happened share with us how did it resurface um so i i didn't really know very much about paralympic sports um I, I didn't know much about blades. And when I went to university, um, it just kind of coincided with the time that there was a girl on my, on my dorm room floor who was involved in athletics. She was a sprint hurdler. And, you know, I had done a little bit of running um, kind of my day leg and um, kind of a, a, a mocked up jogging blade. And, you know, it was tough just because, again, um, it took a few years for the bones and the skin to be able to tolerate that. And and I really enjoyed it, but equally, um, I just didn't think I was that good. And so I kind of thought, well, I'll just, I'll just do this recreationally and it'll still be a part of my life. It just won't be the focus. But then I found out about these amazing, you know, running blades. And I realized I was just running in the wrong thing. Um, I got a hold of, of one of the running blades and, and started training with this university team and you know, just kind of realized, oh, I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm not bad. And, and you know, just kind of kept um, progressing and, and training. And I got to the point where I, I needed to make a decision in 2006, am I going to go to medical school or am I going to pursue this absolutely ridiculous dream of being a sprinter with one foot? 
bearing in mind, again, this is 2006. This is before London 2012. This is before people even knew what the Paralympics was. So it really was a bit, a bit nuts. Um, and in the end, I decided that I just, I mean, medical school would have been really hard, but I was quite academic. I knew that I could get through it. I had no idea if I could make this, you know, idea of being a sprinter, he's an amputee work and I had to find out. And so did you start running and then begin begin competing quite quickly? Uh, no, it, it definitely took some time. Uh, again, I, I hadn't done very much in, you know, four or five years. So uh, apart from the amputation, I was just I was simply out of shape. I had to get back into shape and I had to learn how to use this artificial leg. But I think people spotted the potential quite, quite quickly. And um, it was actually uh, a meet in 2006 uh, here in Manchester, or in Manchester, in, here in England. Um, I flew across for it. It was my first international meet. And obviously they were, um, Great Britain has started this series um, called the World Cup in, in preparation for, for London 2012. And it was the first time I had ever, you know, won. Somebody paid for me to go to this meet. I'm like, this is crazy. I don't have to pay for this flight. But, um, you know, just getting to the Manchester Stadium and, you know, it was it was a big meet. Like, people were watching. And that was a moment where I kind of just could see Parasport, like, this this could go somewhere. And I want to be a part of it. And um, that that was when I made the decision, you know, I, I can't I can't do both. I don't want to do both medical school and training and kind of do two things mediocre. Um, and that's just not me. I am all in or I am nothing. <laughs> There's just not much middle ground for me. And, and looking back now, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just this crazy story of, you know, just kind of thinking that something was was gone. Sport was gone. I made my peace with it. And then, you know, God bringing it back into my life in the most unexpected way. And I've just had the best time. And in terms of your faith now, when you are competing, is there kind of a rhythm of prayer around event days? Are you on the starting line, kind of praying to God? Or how do you kind of speak and be with him during those really intense moments? That has been a really hard journey. Um, and, and, and it's something that, you know, it, it, it's, it can't just happen on race day. Like, that's something I'm working on all the time. Race day is just, it's too late. And um, it's, yeah, it's so hard because, you know, again, it's, faith is so complicated and God is so complicated. And I remember when I first started, you know, I would pray, God, let me win. Um, you know, that was my prayer. But then you just think, well, hang on a second. Like, what if everybody on the start line is praying that, you know, what if we're all Christians and, you know, who, who's God going to pick to win? And then I kind of went to this point of, well, you know, if God already knows the end result from the beginning and God is in control, I mean, he's just going to pick who he wants to win anyway. So why would I bother training? You know, where does my effort actually come into this? Where does, you know, where, where does, you know, God's, um, you know, God's almighty power come into this? And so it's just kind of like, well, does anything that I do, you know, make a difference? Um, and so yeah, it was just this really, really complicated process of, you know, what does it mean when I don't win? What does it mean when I'm unsuccessful? Does it mean that God doesn't love me? Does it mean that I've, you know, done something wrong? And just kind of realizing that my job, whether I'm an athlete, whether it doesn't matter what I'm doing, my job is always to bring my best. I need to be able to look at myself and I need to be able to sit before God and just say, I did everything that I could. And I don't control much beyond that. That is who I am as a human being. And, you know, living in a world where I cannot guarantee the results. I might work unbelievably hard for these next four years, or I have been working hard for these four years up to Tokyo. And I might wake up um, with, I don't know, a stomach bug and just not be able to compete that day. And, and what will that say about God? And what will my attitude towards that be? Will I still trust him? And I think that is the space where I need to get to trusting that, um, no matter what, no matter how it looks in this moment, I am getting God's best, even when it doesn't look like it. I think that's a journey for us all, isn't it? And it's so interesting, your journey to this point, that God has been with you and you know that he saved you and healed you in a very unexpected but beautiful way and yet still 
we still grapple with it, don't we? And we still question him and they're all massive questions. And I think it's so lovely how honest you are about the fact that we just don't have the full answers and it is that faith, isn't it? Yeah, but and I just think, um, you know, yes, God, God very much cares about my sporting career and, and he cares very much about my results and how I feel about them. You know, I feel like he's used sports um, in this incredible way to reach me that nothing else could have. I have, um, you know, just this really, really distinct memory of um, London 2012, actually, in particular. And, and I was uh, running the 200 meters and, and I was really nervous about it. But I just, I knew, you know, from a realistic standpoint, I probably wasn't going to be, I probably wasn't going to be on the podium. And so I was really nervous before this race. And I remember being, um, uh, when you get to the start line, you're kind of led through these tunnels underneath the stadium. And I heard, uh, this was one of the times when I heard very distinctly from God. um, And he said, Stephanie, I'm with you and you are walking on holy ground right now. And I was just like, wow, like what, what does that mean? And um, before uh, I'd actually sat with um, my friend um, James, who happened to be one of the the chaplains at like an official one at London 2012, and we'd actually prayed before this race, and he'd received a message from God, and he just said, "I just I need you to sit here just for five minutes, and and I just want him to impress it upon you." And it was um, basically Stephanie when when you were announced in that stadium for the 200 meters, and as would always happen you know the crowd would just go crazy imagine 80,000 people cheering just because they've seen the GB vest and he said when that crowd cheers for you I want you to know that is what the angels do in heaven when your name is spoken and that was just like wow and I got to the start line and the crowd went crazy and I remember that and um and and you know in the end I came fourth and I had a new personal best and it was an amazing amazing race and um and and I know God used that moment specifically to to speak to me and just to clarify because it's confusing given your background team GB yeah that was a choice was it (laughs) yes yeah so um I I have three passports um I have a New Zealand passport because I was born there I have a British passport uh, because both my parents are British and I have a Canadian passport because um, just through naturalization because I I had lived there for a long time. So technically, yes, I have three options in terms of countries that I compete for, but um, I I am part of Team GB. And so you, I think you've mentioned that you go into schools and you've done a TED talk, you've done kind of inspiring talks, but you're also an ambassador for Leprosy Mission Mm -hmm. and you've been abroad to uh, visit one of the hospitals, was it there? Yes. Um, So yeah, so I'm an ambassador for Leprosy Mission UK and kind of how that came about. um, It's kind of a funny story. Again, God speaks in really unusual (laughs) ways. So um, my husband is a huge fan of of the Marvel movies. And um, this would have been uh, back when I think a new one was coming out. And, you know, I kind of like them, but he doesn't like going to see them with me unless I've rewatched the previous one because he gets really annoyed from the theater being like, Brent, I don't get this. <laughs> so he's like, you need to research and then you can come with me. So I was doing my research and I was actually watching Doctor Strange. Um, and in Doctor Strange, there is a scene where um, he's been injured and he's looking for healing and he ends up going to Kathmandu in Nepal. And I was watching this film and I remember saying, wow, that'd be so cool. I would love to go to Kathmandu one day. And then literally the next day, I got an email from Leprosy Mission UK asking if I would be interested in going with them to Nepal to help host some of their social media um, storytelling they were going to be doing about this incredible goal that they have, which is Heal Nepal. And I responded immediately saying, yes, I'm in. I don't know them going back being like, is she for real? She has no idea who we are. She's going to come with us to Kathmandu. Uh, but I'm like, yes, like I just, this is right. And um you know, it was fantastic because they, they are, um, prayer is a huge part of, of what they do and um, which which is really powerful to, to, to be an ambassador for a, a charity that supports all faiths, but, you know, is driven through, through, through prayer. And they have this vision, which is to eradicate leprosy from the world. And a lot of people think, you know, leprosy is an ancient disease that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it's not, it's still around. 
and um, we we know very little about it. I remember my first question being like, um, do I need to be worried about contracting leprosy? Which I think is a fairly reasonable question because um, part of the mission, it, it was twofold. One, um, we were fundraising to help rebuild the leprosy hospital in Anbadan, which was... It, it, it took a lot of damage during the earthquake that happened in, in 2015. And uh, it is a hospital that specializes in, in treatment for, for leprosy. But in addition to that, we were also raising money to, um, you know, having that hospital there is fantastic. Um, but uh, the thing with leprosy is that if you catch it early enough, um, and you treat it, it is entirely treatable, entirely curable. You don't have any long, long-standing disability from it. Um, it's literally a course of pills and that's it, it's done. But the thing is, um, you need to have people going out into the rural parts of the community and you need people identifying it early enough. And so as part of this mission, they have trained up over 13,000 health workers that are going into the remote parts of Nepal and they're going to be identifying these people early um, before it has a chance to you know cause things again the link was obviously I'm an amputee if leprosy is left untreated um, that generally tends to be the the end result um, but the other thing that really drew me to this disease is one it's it doesn't from my and this is just my point of view it it, it doesn't seem to get the same kind of awareness or support that other um, illnesses would. You know, something like cancer, um, it doesn't discriminate. Um, every, anybody is, is susceptible to it. And so, you know, you tend to have, you know, a lot of support in the media from celebrities. Leprosy, on the other hand, this is a disease of poverty. 95% of people are naturally immune to it. And um, for those that aren't, it, it is a disease that can come when your immune system is weak. And that's because you tend to be, you're malnourished um, and you don't, you don't have um, the ability um, or the hygiene or the food, that sort of thing available. And so it often gets disregarded. And the other really hard thing about this disease is the stigma associated with it. Not only do you end up with a physical illness, um, it's the community that you lose. And, and to me, this just speaks volumes of this is what God came to do. He came to restore community. And this is just such a brilliant and practical outworking of, of what that will look like. More. 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 We often want more, but is it always a bad thing? Isn't wanting more knowledge a good thing? What about more understanding? More perspective. More wisdom. More action. More inclusion. Discover more of the good things at the brand new Premier Christianity magazine website. So much more than a monthly magazine, Premier Christianity website helps you go deeper in your faith and is full of inspiration of what God is doing in the world today. It's Premier Christianity, but so much more. Register today at premierchristianity.com. premierchristianity.com and am I right in thinking you asked them to make you a uh, prosthetic limb or you tried one while you were there? <laughs> yes. So um, so this, you know, Anandaban Hospital is, is amazing. It's full service. Um, so not only will they'll, they'll do the surgery there if it's required. Um, and not just amputation, not just surgery of amputation. Um, you know, for example, uh, leprosy will often affect your hands and it almost causes them to lock up. And it doesn't mean that we have to you have to have your, your hands amputated, but there's now special surgeries that you can, um, the surgeon goes in and he actually just releases some of the tendons that are holding it. And this really matters because especially if, if your trade is as a laborer, you really need your hands to work. And again, this, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift of independence that you're being given. So the hospital does that, they do the recovery, they do the physiotherapy and, and they make limbs for people who need them. And, you know, I was kind of, to be honest, they asked if I would be up for having a limb made for me. And, my initial reaction was, oh, I'm not sure because, you know, I, okay, I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of my, my running limbs and my day leg is made by um, a fantastic private clinic. And so I just thought, okay, I'm going to go to this clinic that is on the side of a mountain. You know, they don't have a lot of equipment. You know, what, what am I supposed to say? You know, it's going to be on film. I, I, I have to be honest. What if it's so uncomfortable? I can't even walk in it. I'd have to be honest and, and what else am I going to do? And, and they kind of, um, 
they just said, look, you know, all we want is for you to be honest. And here's the thing, either the leg is not great, which is another reason why they need more funds so that they can do better, or the leg is amazing. And it's a beautiful story about how, um, you know, you can you can still do a lot with minimal resources. So I said, okay, great, let, let's do that. And I was genuinely blown over. It was so good. And the interesting thing is, is so they actually, at Anandaban Hospital, they cast the same way that I'm casted in a private clinic. And again, uh, Sir Richard, my prosthetist, he has always, always been a big fan of doing hand casting because he believes that, you know, making a prosthetic limb is not an exact science because one, the limb changes, you know, it's not the static thing. And so he wants to feel the bones. He wants to feel um, where the tissue is, the quality of the tissue. And he designs that leg to take that into account. And it's a very hands-on, probably a relatively low-tech way to do it. And amazingly, the guys at Anandaban do it the same way. And they probably were not, um, they didn't go through the same training that Richard does, but they've been doing this for 30 years. And it was this amazing story of his dad did it and he trained him. And I could tell instantaneously when he put his hands on my residual limb, he knew exactly what he was doing, exactly what he was feeling for. Also bear in mind, they did this in two days. There were no test sockets. Usually you'll have two or three test sockets just to put on and check and, and see that the fit is right. One go, one go. And he also, again, this is amazing. He eyeballed the alignment because again, um, we, we did it with the exact materials they would use, um, which meant that right now I'm wearing what I would call, it's, it's called a flex foot, it's a carbon foot. We used, basically the equivalent of a wooden foot. And so you don't have the luxury of, of having these different adaptations and things you can adjust. So they made this limb one time, unbelievably comfortable. And I thought, well, I'm gonna walk in this. And and again, the way, bear, <laughs> it's, it, it's so incredible. Cause again, remember they are making limbs for people that legitimately live on top of mountains. And you know, they are not walking across this lovely neat pavement we see right now. I mean, they're walking across wilderness. That's who they are catering to. And so um, I, I went up and down the mountain on it. And the way that this wooden foot was designed, it basically was almost like a rocking chair. And so it gave you the effect of a flex foot, but probably cost, you know, maybe 2% of the price. And so it was just so amazing to see what can be done with limited resources and a little bit of creativity. And I just think what an amazing lesson to the world, you know, at some stage, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the NHS going to places like Anandaban to, to learn, you know, how do we make do with limited resources? How can we do better? And for me, that was just one of the best things to know that this is a hospital where you go. They may not have a lot, but they have quality. And these, these patients are receiving quality, quality medical um, services, advice, equipment. It's, it is amazing. It's a busy season for you. As we've said, you're training hard for Tokyo 2020, hopefully. Yep. But let's pray. Yes. Just kind of, I, I know I have to leave you to get on with your training schedule, but what, what does a day look like for you in terms of training and in terms of your relationship with God throughout it? Is there a particular rhythm you follow? Yes, uh, I'm definitely someone that loves routine as much as possible, but just the nature of, of what I do in terms of the training, um, but also um, if, if, if things go as I, I would like, um, I love just doing my, my devotions in the morning. And, you know, it really ranges. Um, so sometimes it's, um, I'm, I'm just really digging into to scripture. Sometimes I am simply reading through books. Sometimes, you know, I will bring out some of my fancier studying tools, um, like my interlinear and, um, you know, really, really diving into a practice. I actually find, I, I just, I really love academic study and sometimes that blends into it. Sometimes it, it's about reading um, just different books. And um, I don't know, sometimes it's really helpful to have something phrased or put in a different way by someone else. And, and so I like to spend a good, you know, 20 to 30 minutes doing that. And then um, I, 
sometimes I, I will I will just just pray freely but I actually find it really helpful to to write letters um, because I kind of and so I kind of have a journal and um, it, it's kind of you know a, a letter to to God and it just really helped me to to pay um, more attention and um, be more intentional with with my words but the great thing is as well at the end of the week you can you can look back through it and you just see the different themes and, and it just makes you aware of what you were doing throughout the week and, and things that God really did answer. Um, alongside that, um, you know, I find being discipled incredibly important. I had one of the most amazing discipling experiences. Um, if you have just kind of uh, just stuff in your heart you need to sort out um, and you don't sort it out, it affects um, everything else that, that you do. And, and what I do, like the pressure is extreme. I, I have to have all of my mental capacity available for me. You know, I've sometimes had situations where, you know, I'm going to meet and, you know, for example, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, my husband Brent and I, we, we just, we had a bit of a fight and I just find, you know what, I cannot focus on this until I've sorted this out with, with Brent because I don't want to go to the meet, you know, divided. And, and I think it's really important. We need to pay attention to our hearts and, and God, you know, he, 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 he loves our hearts and he wants them, you know, to be whole and to be, and to be good and, and not to be, um, just having, I don't know how it's just, just that sense of just ugliness in it. And when you feel that, that's usually a sign. God's saying, I want you to pay attention to that. Like I need you to name it and to look at it because then we can deal with it. And that is a process that you have to do every day. And as we already said, it's slow. <laughs> it's slow. You cannot cram it all into, you know, one great weekend away. Um, it, it, it's a discipline and, and it's also, it, it, it's a joy. Yeah, it sounds like there's two things that really run closely together there, a discipline of faith and a discipline of your sport. I, I think part of the reason why God set me again on this path of sport is he just knew this was the best way to teach me some of the lessons that I needed and, and just to deal with some of the struggles that I have, um, you know, things like failure. I mean, you fail all the time in sport. And so it's one of those things. Um, sometimes I think he just went for, you know, immersion therapy. <laughs> I'm just going to inoculate her so much against this just so she realizes I don't care. You know, if she doesn't finish all the time, failure is a great tool in order to, to learn how to grow. And um, and yes, I think God has has done that on purpose. And, um, you know, sport won't be forever. And um, I sometimes think, God, I'm like, what do you have for, for me next? But this was definitely, this was a phase of, of preparation for what I don't quite know, but that, that's exciting. And that's all we've got time for on The Profile this week. Please do join us again next week.